This podcast is brought to you by The City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca. We hope you are encouraged by this message from our lead pastor, Brent Coulter. Good morning again. It's great to see you all. Well, we are finishing our series Faith supplements. This is actually week number seven. Spent a great deal of time in this portion of scripture. Um, the reason that we spent a lot of time in this uh, section of scripture, as we've said each week, that this is actually written by Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples. And it's kind of at the end of his life, and he's reminding us as, as members of the church um, some things that are very important, some things that are very important to add to our faith. And as we've said each week, we all, we all know at different times, maybe we've gone to the doctor or our spouse has told us we're deficient in certain vitamins or minerals and maybe we get a prescription or maybe uh, somebody gives advice if you're feeling a certain way that you need to supplement your diet, different things like that. And so Peter uses that same analogy for us in this portion of scripture. And so uh, things that we are going to add to our faith. So let's just read this one more time as we complete the series. A second Peter Chapter 1, verse 3, let's start reading there. It says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. That God, through Christ, has given to us what we need for our lives. Not just for church services, but from an actual Sunday to Sunday, the life that we live. Um, Our relationship with God provides for us what we need in our lives. We're in the specific context where you are right now, the age that you are, uh, the marital status that you have, the job that you're in. God has provision and direction for whatever we need in this moment in our lives. He's given us all things that pertain to life. Verse 4, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become a partaker of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Verse 5, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what Peter is telling us here, that we can actually have a relationship with God, that our destiny can be set forever, that we're going to be in God's presence forever when we die. But the life that we're living can be ineffective or unfruitful if we don't add these qualities to our faith. And part of what we need to understand from this idea is that the life that we live is important. Uh, Every day from now until when Jesus comes or when you pass away, those days are important. Those days are valuable. And the life you're living is important. And what does God want us to do with those days? He wants us to be fruitful and he wants us to be effective. So this faith that we have in God, this trust that we have in God for our now and for our eternity... Peter is saying we need to add these qualities to that faith so we don't waste our lives. So we don't just exist in life, but that we are actually living life in the divine nature of God. Living life the way God wants us to live. Verse 9, whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers... 
Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. So we're looking at these things that we spent seven weeks finishing up with today, looking at what these words means and, and what these words mean, and then from the scripture, how God wants us to live those out. And so the scripture says here, though, that we should be practicing these things. It's not so, so we can know the definition, not just see it in the scripture, but actually put it into practice in our lives. And then Peter said, if we do these things, we won't fall. That if we, we practice all of these qualities that we've just read and then we've just spent seven weeks discussing, we would not be getting off track in our lives. So we're finishing up today talking about uh, brotherly love and love. And we see these are two different words uh, here in the Greek. The, the first one, brotherly love or brotherly affection, it's, it's translated as. It is the Greek word phileo. And we know the city of Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. And that's what this Greek word means. It means brotherly affection, affection that we would have uh, between siblings. And then the second word, love, is agape. And it's a different type of love. It means sort of the ultimate expression of love, uh, the God kind of love that we would describe as. So this Peter ends up talking about love. But as we've been saying every week, uh, like I said, we've been spending seven weeks on this. If you missed any of those weeks, you can go back and and catch up online or uh, through our podcast or through our church app. The first week we talked about faith and just laid a little bit of a foundation because we're supplementing our faith. What does it mean to live and walk by faith? And then the second week we talked about virtue. But as we've mentioned each week, there's a little bit of thread of love through all of these qualities, that we would live a virtuous life for a reason and for a purpose, that we wouldn't uh, live a wasteful life because there's people that we love and care about and people that love us, so we wouldn't waste our life with non-virtuous living. And then the second week or the third week, we talked about knowledge, and we read a scripture that said potentially knowledge can make us arrogant. If we have a measure of knowledge about a certain um, you know, sphere of life, we, we can become arrogant in that sphere thinking that we're the best, that we're the expert. And the, and the same is true in our relationship with God. We can know the scripture. We can know God for uh, a few decades or a bunch of decades. And we can, uh, from that knowledge, we can become arrogant. But in that same context, Paul is saying that the knowledge that we have of God should move us to love, that knowledge puffs up, but then love builds up. So this knowledge that we have of God is actually supposed to move us to be loving individuals. And we talked about self-control. Why would I live a self-controlled life? Why wouldn't I just give in to all of my desires all of the time? Because if I'm going to give in to those desires and take them to the nth degree, I'm going to waste my life. I'm going to hurt those around us. And so God wants us to live a self-controlled life because he loves us and we need to love others. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about patience and we read the verse from 1 Corinthians 13, and it said, love is patient. And then last week, we talked about godliness. And we saw how godliness is about our devotion to God, ultimately our love for God. So each one of these weeks, even though we've been talking about different qualities and seeing different things from the scripture, ultimately the thread of love moves through all of these things. And then we see Peter ends up with, and the thing that you really need to add to your faith is brotherly love, brotherly affection, and love. We need to add all of these things to our faith and ending up with love so we don't waste our lives 
that we would add love to our faith. When, when people were walking around, contemporaries of Jesus, one time somebody walked up to Jesus and they said, uh, Jesus, tell us what is the greatest law in the Old Testament? And he said uh, that we would love the Lord God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength, and our neighbor as ourself. And these are the last two things here on Peter's list, devotion to God and love for people. Devotion to God, which is love for God, and then love for people. So we're going to be talking about love today. And if you are a part of the city church and you have been here for a while, you know we're going to circle back to love a lot. And I'm going to read some verses that you've heard before. I'm going to say some things that you've heard before. But I don't mind talking about love because I think as you'll see these verses, there's a ton of verses in the New Testament about love, that Jesus emphasized love. So we need to understand love and we need to make it a priority. And I want us to make it a priority in our church family. But I want us to be a loving church family. Can you agree with that? Is that a good idea? Is that a good Jesus quality for us as a Christian church to be kind of a loving group? In other words, when people show up on Sunday, that they actually feel loved and and accepted and appreciated and cherished. So as we finish up today talking about love, this whole list of things that we said, if we look at all of these things through a gospel mentality, once again, we're not doing these list of things as to get accepted by God. I'm not living a virtuous and self-controlled uh, life so that God will love me and accept me. No, the gospel tells us because of what Jesus has done. God has given us love and acceptance and he's given us his grace. So from that place of love and acceptance, we choose to obey God with all of these qualities. We don't do all of these qualities to get accepted. We are accepted in Jesus. And then we choose to obey. And then the Holy Spirit helps us to do all of these things that supplement our faith. So what is love? How do we define love? One of the things that we would see about love is that it means to cherish. Cherish who? Cherish people. So last week we talked about devotion to God. And I'm supposed to be devoted to God and who he is. But then Peter ends up finishing with this idea that we would actually cherish people. That we would be kind. Does everybody like it when somebody is kind to you? You know, we're moving into the Christmas season where we're celebrating, you know, Jesus coming to the earth and that he's our savior and our Lord. But sometimes if you go to the mall, it is the last place for kindness during the Christmas season that we're not going to give that parking spot to anybody if we get it. But love, one of the definitions of love is to be kind. Affection. It's kind of a no brainer sometimes just giving affection to somebody. Goodwill. That we would choose to have goodwill. Another definition is benevolent, to be benevolent, to be generous with somebody. Now, all of these things that we see here defined by love has nothing to do with actually how we feel. It is a choice. The God kind of love that we would see in the scripture is all about a choice. Now, we know if you've ever been in a romantic relationship, you know you have those feelings. You know, those feelings when you first met, you know, your special someone and you stayed up talking to like three and you're like, where did the time go? And it just felt, just feels like I always knew you really ultimately that isn't sort of love. It's a little bit lust mixed in with infatuation, a lot of different things going on. But the God kind of love is all about a choice. 
It's all about a choice because when we, for those of us that are married in here and those of you, we got some people getting married here in a little bit. When you stood up on your, your wedding day, you made these beautiful, poetic, wonderful vows and everybody celebrated and everybody cried. But a few years down the road, you woke up and they had bad hair and bad breath and you didn't feel any of those things. God still wants us to choose to love and to cherish and to have affection for and to have goodwill for the people in our lives. Galatians chapter 5 verse 6 says this. For when we place our faith in Christ, there is no benefit in being circumcised or uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. Faith expressing itself in love. Another translation says through love. The fact that I have faith, Paul is saying to the church, the Galatian church, the Galatian region, the churches in the Galatian region, he's saying, how am I going to know that you have faith? Well, it's going to be expressed in love. It isn't going to be these outward signs, these Old Testament outward signs, circumcision or uncircumcision, it doesn't matter. It's going to be something coming from the inside that I put faith in God. My heart has chosen to trust God. And so how will we know that you have faith? Well, it's going to be expressed in love. It's going to show up in love. If I have faith in God, putting my trust in God, why would I put my trust in God? Because I love him and he loves me. So that's the beginning plate. That beginning place of my relationship with God starts with love. And so how is that faith going to be expressed? It's going to be expressed through love. Now, those of us that have been in church for a while, we love our belief systems. We love what we believe. And I'm no different. If you get me in a room and you want to have a, a theological discussion, I'm, I'm down. I could sit there for two, three hours and talk about different belief system. And this church believes this and this church thinks this. And I'm all excited about talking about that. I'm kind of a Bible geek. So I want to talk about those things. And we're excited about what we believe. And we want other people to believe what we believe. And if you look around the Christian church, there is uh, so many different denominations who have a very specific set of beliefs. We believe this. We emphasize this. We emphasize this doctrine. We emphasize this teaching. We emphasize this approach to this. So we like to be famous for what we believe. But Paul is saying that our faith is not just going to be expressed in what we believe. It's actually going to be expressed in love. It's going to show up in love. It's going to show up in me cherishing somebody. Not just me cherishing my beliefs and what I think. And here's my thoughts about this. The true, genuine faith in God is going to show up in my life. And how is it going to show up? It's going to show up and it's going to be expressed in love. John chapter 13, verse 34, the words of Jesus. It says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And I'll read this verse a couple times throughout the year at different times and different series. Why? Because I want us to be a church of love. Because here in these verses, Jesus says that he wants his followers to be famous for love. How will they know, Jesus says, that you are my disciples? How, do they, how will people know that you follow me? What does Jesus want us to be famous for? The one that we follow, the one whose salvation we claim. I am a Christian. 
That means I'm a follower of Jesus. Well, I believe this, and I believe this doctrine, and I believe this, and I like this famous preacher, and I don't like that famous preacher. No, it's not what Jesus said. It's not what he wants us to be famous for. He wants us to be famous for love. He says, a new commandment I give you. And we see this throughout Jesus' ministry. And when he's talking, he would say, you've heard it said. And he'd quote the Old Testament. And then he'd say, now I say to you. He was replacing things from the Old Testament. It was actually pretty bold. Some of the things that actually got him crucified. And we would ignore it if it wasn't for the resurrection. But what Jesus was saying, he didn't say, I have new commandments. He says, I have a new commandment. In other words, Jesus is saying, what I'm about to say, it's going to replace the Ten Commandments. Now, hang with me here for a second. I know some of you are going to get nervous when I'm about to say what I'm about to say. You don't actually have to follow the Ten Commandments anymore. Jesus replaced it with the commandment of love. But let me tell you this. If you do the commandment of love, you won't break any of the Ten Commandments. Because they're all sourced in love. The first part of them are all about love for God. The second part of them are all about love for people. So Jesus is flipping the script. He's like, hey, you heard it said, don't do this, don't do this, and don't do this. Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to love one another. And when you love one another, you won't contravene all the don'ts, all the things you shouldn't do. Why? Because you're too busy cherishing each other. You're too busy with goodwill towards somebody else. You're too busy giving affection to people to break all of those laws. I'm not going to break those laws. I'm going to do the law that Jesus says. I'm going to do the thing that Jesus says he wants us to be famous for. What is that law? The law of love. It's the overarching principle in the new covenant, in the new testament. He wants us to love. You know, there's a movement for a while uh, in the church. It was... Uh, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And people would wear bracelets and different things like that. And the idea of the question is, here's a circumstance. Then you ask yourself the question, what would Jesus do? So here in these verses, Jesus is telling us, uh, hey, I want you to love one another. I want you to be famous for love. I want you to love the way I've loved you, the sort of self-sacrificing way. And I heard a mother tell a story about how she had prepared pancakes for her children one breakfast and they were there and these two children these two siblings were there and there's one pancake left and both children were wanting the pancake so they were there and they were having this big long discussion and in the middle of that the mother said to the two children children wwjd what would jesus do and then one sibling looked at the other and said you be jesus See, this is what we want. We want affection. We want goodwill. We want kindness. But we want other people to give it to us. But Jesus said he's calling all of us that claim him to say that we've said, yes, I follow Jesus. What he wants to be primary for us is that we would love people. And then he says, actually, we would love one another. This group of us that say we follow Jesus, we need to learn to love each other, that we would be kind of a community of love. And this is what I want for us as a church. Everything will flow from this place, that we love and care for children. And I hope you know that's true. 
And then we love and care for teenagers. And we love and care for you. But we need all of us doing this, not just tell, for us saying, you be Jesus. No, all of us need to be Jesus in this equation. All of us need to be the ones that are giving love. All of us need to be the ones that are living self-sacrificial lives and bringing affection to others and bringing care for others and bringing kindness to other people. Jesus wants us to be famous for this. Now, don't get me wrong. we got a whole belief system. We could talk about, like I said, we can talk doctrine for hours if you want. But here, the ethos, the idea, the centerpiece, what Jesus says he wants us to live out is from this wonderful place of love. I give you a new command. What is the new command, Jesus? Uh, Love. I want you to love each other. I want you to be kind to one another. So who are we supposed to be kind to? Well, we're supposed to be kind to the people in our families, the people who live in our house. See, sometimes that's the hardest. The most difficult is the people that are in our house. We have a struggle being kind to them. But God wants us to be kind to the people in our house. He wants us to be kind to the people on our jobs. He wants us to care about them. To slow down in the busy existence that we have and actually care for and cherish the people in my life. See, God has placed you in a job, in a family, in a career, in a place of education. Why? Because there's people there. He wants you to love. He wants you to love. He wants you to be known as the Christian. And what does that Christian do? Well, they lo- I don't believe what that guy believes, but I know he loves me. I know that person actually cares about me. This is what Jesus wants us to be famous for. A bunch of scriptures here in the New Testament about love. I'm going to read you a few. First Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Having purified your souls... By your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Just something genuine, a genuine love and care for people. Not just bypassing people. Thinking, oh, God loves this person. And the way this person is going to experience God's love is through me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no one, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For indeed, is that what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia? We urge you, brothers, do this more and more, not less and less. Not like, oh, yeah, I loved them last week, God. I was kind last month, so I'm going to take a month off, okay? This loving thing is a little bit exhausting. So, you know, I'm going to do every other month if you don't mind. No, he says that we're supposed to be doing love more and more, not less and less. We've been taught by God this, that God's love is constant in our lives. God's forgiveness is constant in our lives. We've been taught this by God. And so what do we do? Well, we love more and more. God trained me to love. God helped me to love more and more. God helped me to care for the people that you've placed in my life more And more, this is the thing that Jesus wants us to be famous for. 1 John 
chapter 4, verse 19. Or actually, wait, Romans 12, verse 10. We Last week, we talked about being devoted to God. Romans 12, verse 10 says, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. That I'm going to prioritize the people in my life. That I'm going to honor them. I'm going to cherish them. That I'm going to give them kindness and affection. I'm going to devote myself to them. First John 4 verse 19 says, We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So we can't just say, I love God, I want to worship God. I'm just coming to church to worship God. But the rest of the people there, I just don't care about. I just don't have time for people. No, God is telling us it's not okay. It's not okay for us to say, I love the invisible God. But the people in my life, I just don't have any time for. No, that's not an option for us. And we see at the end, verse 21, it said, whoever loves God must also love his brother. For those of us that say we've said yes to Jesus, I follow Jesus. How many know must love is not an option for us? You know, I'm just going to leave out love. God, I just want to be with you in heaven when I die. That's pretty much all I want. No, he says, hey, if you love God, you say you love God, I'm asking you to. You must love your brother. You must love them. But here's the struggle. We, We love God. He's perfect. He's amazing. He is constant. He is always faithful. It's way easier to love God sometimes than people. Everybody take a moment and look at the person sitting next to you in church. One of these awkward church moments. If you, if you're, if you don't know the person, I apologize. It's just what pastors do once in a while, all right? But if you know the person, look at them. Don't look at me. Look at them. Gaze upon them. I have a question for you. What is wrong with them? And depending on how long you've been married, <laughs> if you're sitting, sitting beside your spouse, you'd be like, listen, Pastor Brent, if you got a half hour, I tell you, you, can, you can't just ask me that quick question. So I got a list. They're hard to love sometimes, but here's the truth. So are you. We love God who's perfect who's faithful, who's constant, who never fails. But then God is telling us to love these imperfect creatures. The ones that aren't always faithful, who aren't always constant, who make mistakes, who come up short. Yes, God is telling us to love those people. See, it's actually the only option we have. We only have the option to love imperfect people because there aren't any other kind. And so what uh, we've been trained by God, and and, and we can't just say we love God. What do we need to do? Well, we, we need to 
love each other. I'm calling you to love each other. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. Paul gives us another clue here about love. He says in verse 13, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law fulfilled. And we already said that Jesus said this. The totality of the Old Testament laws are completed in the word love. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That we would love and we would serve one another. That I'm going to sacrifice myself for the people in my life. I'm going to sacrifice time for somebody else. I, I just don't have time. I don't, just, I don't have time. I got to go here. I got to go there. No, God is wanting us to sacrifice time for people. Slow down. Slow down on the busyness. And love somebody. But then what does he say? If you bite and devour each other. And then, so what is he meaning by that? Is he actually saying that we're become you know, carnivores and we're like eating each other? It's not what he's saying. He's talking about the words that we say. That we're going to bite and devour one another. You know... Sometimes we can be very nice to the people that we don't actually even know. We can get to the mall and we can hold the door open and say, please, after you. And then, no, after, no, no, after you, please, go right ahead. And then we come home and we're like, rah! What is he saying? We're biting and devouring each other. And then you, that consumes you. That should not be consuming us. What should be consuming us? Love should be consuming us. Kindness. Goodwill for this person. But we've already established they're not perfect. And see, what happens is our love becomes conditional. God's love is unconditional. If you agree with me on this point, I love you. If you have the same doctrinal beliefs I do, I love you. If you're uh, on the same political team as me, I love you. If you cheer for the... (laughs) The Leafs or the Habs, it's hard to get it out. If we agree with someone, it's easy to love them. But the God kind of love has no conditions. The God kind of love is given to all. And this is the love we're supposed to train ourselves with. Because it's so easy to love the people that love us. Jesus said that. This is easy to love the people you love. But you know what? I'm actually calling you to love people that are your enemies sometimes. And I'm calling you to love people that have hurt you. The God kind of love. First John chapter 3 says this, By this we know love. He laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has this, the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. 
Ephesians 5, verse 2. And walk in love as Christ has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling Savior. So what is the standard of love that God is calling us to? The kind of love that Jesus showed us. The sacrificial love. That I'm going to sacrifice myself to give someone affection and to give somebody goodwill and to cherish somebody. I'm going to sacrifice part of my time and my effort and who I am so that I can love people. Why? Because God wants his love not just to reside in you. So you're not just a bucket. The scripture says you're a vessel. In other words, something flows through you. Not just a container to receive God's blessing, but a vessel of God's blessings. In other words, if God blesses me, I'm going to bless somebody else. God loves me, who's imperfect and falls short and doesn't do everything right and doesn't say everything right. God loves me still. So what am I going to do? I'm going to let this standard of love, the God standard of love, the, con- the, the constancy of God's love to train me and to retrain me. 1 Corinthians 13, very famous love chapter. 1 Corinthians 13, we're just going to read a few of the verses here. But let me encourage you, you know, if you maybe feel like you're struggling with this idea of love. 1 Corinthians 13 is all about love. Read it every day this week and let it convict you and challenge you so that we can walk in love with each other. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1 says, If I could speak in all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. Verse 2, if I had the gift of prophecy and I understand all of God's secret plans and possess all knowledge. Now, Paul's using a little bit of hyperbole here because nobody actually has this information. But sometimes people are puffed up in their arrogance and their knowledge of, I, I'm going to say this, I'm going to proclaim this about the future. And I have, I know everything about God's word. And if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. I would be nothing and I would gain nothing without love. See, we have to remind ourselves as followers of Jesus that we have to legitimately believe what Jesus says. And if Jesus is telling us the best way to live is to love others and to sacrifice ourselves for others and to care about others and to give affection to others that we agree with and we disagree with. So we have to believe what he says and take it to heart and not make it optional. Because if we don't do the things that Jesus said, and if we don't believe the things that Jesus says, we will be nothing and we'll have gained nothing at the end of our lives and our lives will be wasted. See, if all of we have uh, in our lives as followers of Christ is an accumulation of knowledge, well, I know this and I'm in, I have this scripture memorized and I, and I know this and this preacher and here's the church services that I like and dislike. If that's all we have, we waste our lives. 
Because God has poured out his love, as we're going to read here in a second. He's poured his love into you, but he's poured it into you for a purpose. Because you take it with you where you go. And the people that you come in contact with, he loves them. The ones you like, the ones you don't like. The ones you're impressed with, the ones that you're not impressed with. Are we going to measure that? I'm going to measure them to see if they deserve my love. Aren't you glad that God didn't do that with us? Because if he had of, Jesus wouldn't have died for us. Because he would have measured us and he would have found us wanting. Last verse is Romans chapter 5. Verse 5 says this, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit has been poured on the inside of you. And what what does that look like? Uh, It looks like God's love is being poured on the inside of you. We read in Galatians, if we follow the Spirit, what are we going to do? We're going to follow love. The Holy Spirit's poured out on the inside of us. Because God's love has been poured on the inside of us. Who has been given to us, verse 6, But while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Who did Christ die for? The ungodly. Why did Christ die for the ungodly? Because he loves the ungodly. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. What was the motivating factor for God to send Jesus? It's love. While we were still weak, At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That describes us. Verse 7, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. Talking about us. Like, well, I might die for this person because they're kind of a good person. But then, here's the God kind of love in verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Even when we were rejecting him, he still loves us. Even when we don't measure up, he still loves us. Even when we fall short, even we say the wrong thing and do the wrong thing, he still loves us. There's nothing that you can do to make God love you less. He loves you because it is who he is. He cannot go anywhere from his nature. He loves you. And then he's poured his love in you so that you then can love the unlovable. That you can love the ones that don't deserve it. That you can cherish the ones who don't deserve it. That you can give affection to the ones who don't deserve it. This is what Jesus wants us to be famous for. Let's just pray this morning. God, we thank you for your love today. That you pour out upon us. That you give to us. 
that Jesus died for us when we didn't deserve it. And all we can do, Lord, today is say thank you. Lord, we are overwhelmed by your love today. We're overwhelmed by what you have done for us. And God, we pray that you help us to give out your love. That we're not just supposed to be recipients of your love. But we're supposed to be dispensers of your love. And God, so for the family that you've placed us in. And the job that you've placed us in. God, help us to love the unlovable. Help us to love the people that come up short. God, we thank you for your wisdom for our lives. Thank you, Lord, that you are empowering us to do this by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you need prayer or would like to share how this message has impacted you, please email info at thecitychurch.ca.